May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Mountains take our breath away. Can you imagine the view from the top? Look around. Enjoy the clouds as they play among the peaks, swirling and bouncing off the rocks. Hear the wind whistling through the bare shrubs. See for many miles all the rivers churning, valley folks yearning, and stone peaks rising into the clouds. Feel the crystal air as it passes over your tongue. Taste the clean breath. Smell the juniper and the short grass. We worked hard to get here to the top of the mountain. So it's only fair that we want to enjoy it for a while. Maybe pull out some lunch, have some water, make a shelter, rest for a time. There's a long hike going back down. Take your shoes off, you get the picture, you know. And it's hard to see the possibility beyond the mountaintop, especially when we worked so hard to get there. We know that life gets hard back down in the valley. Have you had those kind of mountaintop experiences? Maybe you climbed a real mountain and it was stunning up there. Maybe your team won a championship. Maybe you gave the performance of your life. Maybe you graduated. Maybe you got a great job. Maybe you got a promotion. Maybe you fell in love and you're desperate for the honeymoon phase to last. Maybe you held your baby for the first time and the world changed in a tender instant. These mountaintop moments stun us and we just want them to last. But look what happens to Moses when he stays on Sinai for 40 days. He receives God's law written on stone tablets. And I imagine he was pretty proud of himself as he walked back down the mountain. It's the feeling you have when you just bought something awesome at the grocery store. I can't wait for them to see what I brought home. Like really good steaks or nice wine or the actual word of the Lord. But what happens when Moses leaves the mountaintop, he climbs back down to discover a hot mess. The Israelites are worshiping a golden calf in a clear reference to Baal, who is a rival god to Yahweh. That's like Falcons fans rooting for the saints. Who dat? We just don't do that. <laughs> Moses had a mess on his hands. My friends, it is hard to leave the mountaintop. How much more does Peter want to stay on that holy mountain with Jesus? If we tune into the story right before they climb the mountain, Jesus has been sassy with the religious authorities. Scholar Thomas Long calls it a death march to Jerusalem. And the sparkling light of transfiguration shines onto an ominous backdrop. As Jesus enters the gloomiest season of his life, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, basically the people who are really good at religion, right, the religious authorities, have been asking for a sign from heaven. Yet Peter and James and John are the lowly ones who will receive it. Here they are, specially called by Jesus to climb the mountain. So huffing and 
Puffing and sweaty and sore, they finally hold their aching bones over the last boulders and the view opens before them and God has something to say. As Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus, Long sees it as a pulling back of the curtain of time to show that Jesus is continuous with all that God has promised and given in the law and the prophets. Then in a biblical game of who is who, Matthew alludes to a bunch of things. First, Moses' story on Mount Sinai, where the Israelites wander in the desert and they struggle to to stay faithful to the God who set them free. Second, Matthew alludes to Elijah and, and Elijah's time with God on the holy mountain. Third, to Malachi 4, where God calls people to remember Moses on Sinai and sends Malachi on a mission of restoration back to his people. And Peter picks up on all of these references, and he wants to treasure the moment. I'm surprised he didn't pull out his anachronistic iPhone and and take a selfie and post it on Twitter and say, Blessed day with Jesus, hashtag Moses, hashtag Elijah, transfiguration. And he can't do that because it was, you know, 2,000 years ago. But he would have if he could have because he's trying to capture the moment. I know, he seems to say, let's all stay here forever. And while he talks, God interrupts with a chorus from Jesus' baptism. This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And I want to say, God says that to you and to me today, too. You are my child, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And then God continues, talking about his son Jesus. God says, listen to him. At which point the disciples collapse in fear. They're petrified because they've read their Malachi. Who can endure the day of God's coming and who can stand when God appears? God's power and transcendence is made clear on that particular mountaintop. It calls to mind the writer Annie Dillard, who suggests crash helmets as appropriate Sunday garb. Forget your Sunday finery, your speculators, your beautiful hats. She says, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we invoke so blithely? Earth-shattering, life-changing power. That's what. That's why she suggests crash helmets. And when we meet God in those mountaintop moments, it changes everything we knew. It is a breathtaking moment, best marked with an expletive. Indeed, our first response to God's transcendence is often fear. Look at the disciples. They're face down in the rocks. And so the power of God comes to Peter and James and John in that mountain, except this time it's not written in stone like it was for Moses. It is God's voice. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because now Jesus reaches out to James and Peter and John, and he touches them, hand on the shoulder. And he says, get up and do not be afraid. Yes, God is incredibly powerful, and we're confused, and we just want to stay on top of the mountain where it's beautiful, or in the sanctuary where it's safe, or in known territory where routines keep us cozy. But Barbara Brown Taylor says that things get scary right before they get holy. And God says, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And that Greek word, listen, 
doesn't just mean to hear him with our ears. It's what your mom means when she says, listen to me. And she uses your whole name. Andrew Kreisel Barnett, listen to me. It's mean, it means hear and do. You know that feeling? Have you heard that before? Or like the, the tap on your knee in church? Have you had that? Yeah, I have too. <laughs> Not for a long time. I just want to put it. It's been a long time since I've had the tap on the knee, but I know what that's like. So we're up there too with James and Peter and John, blown away by the transfiguration, still scared, trying to figure this whole thing out, maybe trying to stay for a day or two, but not Jesus. That brother is already hiking down the mountain. Come on, it was so beautiful and and fantastic and easy, and we were just celebrating your connection with Elijah and Moses, and God spoke, and you turned all beautiful colors, and he's already hiking back down the mountain. And so, James, Peter, and John head down the valley too. And I don't know where they found the courage to do that. I wonder if they just started walking because that's where he went. So they went there too. And as they begin their initial descent toward Jerusalem, Jesus tells them of his coming passion. And as soon as he's back in the hungry, suffering crowd, he goes to work serving people, stopping first to heal a child. You know, following Jesus off the mountaintops of our lives takes courage. Because crowds are waiting down there. Unknown futures are brewing down there. And we, too, are called down to the valley with Jesus, ready to serve. We come down off Epiphany Mountain, and we walk toward the holy valley called Lent. It's okay if we don't know where we're headed. Lord knows the disciples did not. They just walked down with Jesus because he was going down that particular trail, so we may as well go after. We may as well follow Jesus, right? It's kind of that simple. You just kind of walk where he walks and do what he does. In so many ways, I think that's what it's like to encounter God. How wondrous it is to be knocked off our feet by beauty and transcendence. How mysterious to know in your bones that God is up to something, which usually happens when you have that sort of feeling in your stomach that something's about to change. Like Barbara Brown Taylor says, things get scary before they get holy. To lean into that reality, to trust in it, to release our mountaineer's grip on former plans. When we come down the mountain with Jesus, we need humility because we may see without fully comprehending. We need trust Because how else would we recover from the trip? We need each other because walking with Jesus is a community project. And we need God, whose power and love continue to change the world. So what's to be done? There is probably a decision in your life right now that you've been wrestling with for a while. I invite you to call it to your mind now. If you've been waiting for permission to go to the mountaintop and pray with Jesus, you have it. If you've been waiting for encouragement to take a leap of faith, you have it. If you've been waiting for encouragement, for a word from Scripture that actually affects your life, you have it. 
God says, do not be afraid. You are good enough. You are beloved, beautiful, called. God needs you in the world. Take the leap and trust Jesus to walk with you. Get off the mountaintop of your own certainty, and I'm saying this to myself too, into the valley of God's promise and be prepared for a hot mess. I'm not saying that every decision we've ever wondered about is the thing we should do, but I am saying that those moments where things get scary before they get holy, where you have that feeling in your stomach where you're not quite sure, those are the moments when we can trust God. And I believe that God will be with us and will push us off the mountain into the valley where it will get messy and hard before it will get easy. I'm reminded of the ethicist who visited Mother Teresa on a pilgrimage. He volunteered at one of her hospice centers where the sisters helped bring dignity to death for the poorest of the poor. This man had famously published his wisdom and he went to India seeking more. What should I do with my life? asked the tenured full professor with the Ph.D. Mother Teresa asked him how she could pray for him, and he said, Well, that's easy. I want you to ask God for clarity. No, I will not do that, she said. Clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. But the ethicist was confused. Mother Teresa always seemed to have the clarity that he sought. Laughing, She replied, I have never had clarity. What I have had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. I think this story is especially moving now that we know that Mother Teresa struggled with doubt for most of her life. She prayed for trust in God even as she struggled. She prayed, thy will be done even from the depths of her despair. She heard God call her explicitly in words in her mind to serve the poor, and she spent the rest of her life yearning for that clarity again. We know from her journals that she never felt God that same way ever again. It was deeply despairing to her. It was depressing to her. Yet she trusted, and she changed the world. So as we pray for the courage to follow Jesus off of the peaks of our lives into the valleys of our lives, Do not be afraid. Know that God goes with us and hear these words. Go. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor everyone. Love and serve God, rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. And take the leap. Because, my friends... You already have everything you need.